Hi guys, it's Leo with One Happy Widow. Thanks for joining. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe so that you can follow along with us. On this channel, I'm going to be sharing with you my experiences as a widow and how I have traveled through the process from becoming a widow until where I am today, which I'm still in the grieving process, but I am trying my best to live a happy life and to find joy every day in some way in my life. And uh, every day I become one step closer to becoming one happy widow. I really can consider myself happy now. I do have some sad days and sad moments, but I'm really working hard to try to make myself a happy life and find joy. So if you're at that place in your journey of grieving, or if you are just interested in getting more information about what it's like to be a widow and processing through that grieving process and finding happiness again, then feel free to join us and watch the video. Make sure to hit that bell so that you won't miss another video. All right, so today I am going to talk about 12 things that I learned when I became a widow. Now, when I started making this list, I think I came up with about 50 things. I decided to just break it down into parts, so I'll probably do a series of this, these videos. This is gonna be part one, so what I did was I focused on some of the things that were surprising to me and daughter didn't realize until I became a widow. The 12 things that I'm gonna talk about today transformed my thinking in the beginning from the point where I became a widow and a little bit before that because I was dealing with knowing that my husband was going to die and so I started that grieving process early before he actually passed away but regardless when you become a widow at that moment things change a lot of things change for you and some things were surprising and I, I really would never have thought some of the things happened until they started to happen to me. So I wanted to share those experiences with you. Grieving is not the same for everyone. It's different for all of us and it's unique for all of us. But I do want to share some of the experiences that I have so that maybe you can feel like that you're not so alone and maybe you're feeling strange or weird or guilty or like something's wrong. And maybe if you hear some of the same stories from others, you'll realize that you're not alone and that what Whatever your feeling is okay. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the 12 things that I learned when I became a widow, part one, focusing on, let's say the first few months, maybe on out through the first year. So number one is that no matter how long you were together with your spouse, your partner, with your soulmate, with your fiance, when you lose that other person in your life, the other half that makes you a couple, no matter how long that you're with them, it is never enough time. I have read a lot of feedback from people who have lost a loved one, who have lost a spouse, and they talk about the length of time that they were together. Some people were only together for a few weeks or a few months or a year or two. Some people were with their significant other for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The story is the same, that no matter how long you were together, you always wish that you had one more day. And I think about that song, one more day it's a country song and um and it talks about what you would do and what you would say if you just had one more day with them and all i could think is that at the end of the day you're still going to wish that you had one more day it doesn't matter whether you're with your significant other for one day or four or 50 years you're still going to feel like you were robbed of some time and um, anytime that you are the survivor you're always gonna feel like you got left behind and, and you are always gonna wish that you had a little more time. I was married for 17 years and um, it just seems like the blink of an eye. So for number two, I don't think we could have ever been prepared enough. My husband did have life insurance. 
I'll go over a story with that later on in another video, but the life insurance amount that we took out seemed like it would be plenty and it still wasn't enough. It's never enough. Wills, make sure those wills are updated because uh, my husband didn't have one and my husband was terminal and knew he was gonna die and still didn't have one. And I know that sounds dumb, but you know, those are kind of things that you have to deal with. Even if you are with your significant other and, um, and you know they are going to pass away, you still won't be able to prepare yourself enough. You're dealing with all these other things and emotions. My husband, uh, knowing that he would not live to see another year, he decided to give notebooks to our children. He got sick really fast and he was weak and didn't have a lot of energy or a lot of stamina. And then he was on a lot of pain medication and so his mind, it was difficult for him to think. And when he would think a lot, he would get tired. The notebooks that he did, they were not full. They had a few entries for each, which is awesome that they have those little letters to them for the future. You know, like when you turn 16, when you get married, when you have your first child, things like that. He has a few little things for each of them, but the notebooks, I wish that they could have been full of lessons and letters, but you know, each kid got a few pages and, um, and it's still, it'll probably never feel like enough. If you're grieving the loss of a loved one that was a surprise, you might not have a will in place. You might not have had life insurance in place. You might not have notebooks. Um, all you will have is those memories. And that, this is the cliche about don't go to bed uh, angry, but um, when you lose a spouse, you're always gonna remember what those last words were or hope you can remember what those last words were and you never want those last words to be something mean or ugly or something that you'll regret. So just always remember whenever you are spending time with your spouse that one day the last thing that you say to them is going to be the last thing that you said to them. So um, it's hard to think about that when death is such an abstract idea, but to widows and widowers, it is a very real aspect. It's not a possibility. It's if you stay married long enough, one of you is becoming a widow or a widower. So it's gonna happen to one of you. For number three, three, um, I did not remember hardly any of the funeral. Um, it could have been due to the fact that somebody in my family put half of a little blue tablet in my hand and said, take this, you're gonna need it. And I'm pretty sure I know what it was, but uh, I didn't ask questions, I just took it and you know, the rest of that day is a little bit of a blur. But even still, I think your mind protects you um, as a defense mechanism and maybe tries to block out some traumatic events. And so uh, my husband's service took place over a three day period of time. I do remember that. The first day was the, uh, the viewing at the funeral home. I remember very little of that. I remember a couple of people, seeing a couple of people. I remember seeing them in the casket and I, I don't really remember the rest of it. The next day was the church service. I remember almost none of that. I don't remember where my children were. I don't know if they sat with me. I think they might've sat with other family members. I don't remember. I don't remember where I sat. I don't remember how I got there. I don't know if I drove alone or if I drove my children or if I rode with somebody. I don't remember the funeral procession. I don't, I don't even know if we had one of those. <laughs> I, I don't know um, because we didn't go from one area to another. So we may not have had a funeral procession on any of those days, but to be honest, I don't remember. Then the third day was the burial. So my husband was buried in the military cemetery. And so he had, he had the flag draped across his casket. He had several high ranking um, officials 
speak on his behalf about him and about his military service and the honor that it was that he was able to serve our country. Um, I don't remember them serving me with the flag. I know they did because I have it and it's framed up, um, but I don't remember getting it. I, I do remember sitting in a chair on the front row and thinking that I might fall over because it was on the ground on one of those little carpety things. And I remember thinking if I sit too hard, I might fall over and fall down, <laughs> but I don't remember a whole lot else. For number four, uh, I did not feel sadness at first because my husband died of cancer he was in a lot of pain so my first uh, my first emotion that i remember when he died was relief and it wasn't relief for me it was relief for him that he didn't feel pain anymore because he had been in so much pain uncontrollable pain that we never could he never could get enough medicine to, to um to deal with the pain so my first emotion was relief i was so relieved that he was not in pain anymore and then right after that my next emotion was guilt i felt guilty because because i felt relieved that he had died and um, i felt really guilty about that because who gets who feels relief when their spouse dies but i did and now that i look back i realize that it was a normal reaction and um and it was okay, but I did feel extremely guilty for feeling that almost like a weight was lifted off of me when um, he finally passed. But it was really honestly because I was so relieved that he wasn't hurting anymore. And so um, those were my first two emotions that I can remember. And then it was numbness. Uh, I felt numb. I don't, I don't really remember feeling much of anything. And I think that happened to get me through the funeral. There was a lot of drama in those days of the funeral <laughs> and story for another day. But um, I think I just kind of zombied through the, um, the next stage. And then finally, the sadness started to come in and it probably took a week, one to two weeks before uh, the sadness started. I, 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 didn't, I don't even know if I did a lot of crying, but to be honest, <laughs> I still don't remember much. For number five, um, you probably have heard this, but unless you've experienced it yourself, you don't know the truth of the statement that death brings out the worst in people. I saw sides of friends and family members that I would never have believed that they would have said some of the things that they said and did some of the things that they did. But because he was dying or because he was dead, he fought over some stuff. Some are still ongoing and it's been three and a half years. When pe so when people say death brings out the worst in people, that is that is true so for number six people will be there at first and then they won't in the beginning i did not want a bunch of people to be around me i was feeling you know all these different emotions and i didn't know how to act and and um and i was irritated and sad and mad and disappointed and all those different emotions and and i'm not i'm a pretty private person i don't really I have a hard time crying in front of people and I don't like people to see me crying or getting upset. And so um, that was my most vulnerable time in my life. And all these people are around, people that I, some of them I didn't even know very well. And I really just wanted to be left alone. And that's when they were coming over and they were bringing cards and they were texting and calling and they were bringing casseroles, bringing food. And it was kind of, the, it was kind of nice to have food that I didn't have to worry about cooking. But um, I really just didn't want a whole lot of uh, company you know, right then. 
Um, and then let's say a couple months later, I'd started to go back to work and the heaviness of the fact that he had died, the reality was kicking in. I started to get really down on things because it was really hitting me that he was gone like forever and never coming back. Um, and then the reality of my responsibility as a single parent and raising my children by myself and the responsibility of a full-time job, I had four kids, all that stuff kind of started crushing me and like pressing down on me, giving me a lot of anxiety. And um, by that time, nobody was there. I mean, I'm sure I could have reached out and asked for some help, but I'm, I am not that kind of person. Nobody was there to offer me help three or four or five or six months later because they figure you've, or you've moved forward or you got over it or you're feeling better or because you don't cry at work all the time, they figure you must be okay. And so they just kind of forget because their lives move on. Their lives move on. They, the world keeps spinning. We are stuck here with that loss. You know, ours, our lives are still grieving the loss and feeling that empty hole. Everybody else is doing other stuff. And so um, they'll be there in the beginning. It almost seems like when I really needed somebody to come in and check on me and spend some time with me, it was almost like I had a window of opportunity to be sad and that like that initial grieving period. And then once that, once you're out of that window, it seems almost too weird to ask for help. <laughs> and that's really when, when I needed it the most and nobody was there because you know, it's been six months. So they figured she's figured out how to, how to cope by now. So I'm, I'm sure she's okay. For number seven, people say really stupid stuff to make you feel better. You know, I'm probably gonna make a whole video on some of the stupid shit that people said to me or I've heard of people saying to others um, that just sounds heartless and callous and just plain old rude. Most of the time people mean well. You know, they'll say some cliche things because they, they don't know what to say and so they're trying to say anything that they think might make you feel better. Like, he's in a better place. He's no longer in any pain. You'll move on. You'll find somebody new. Well, you seem to be handling things pretty well. I'm putting on a really brave face and a really good mask or I'm a good actress. And if you are talking to a widow or a widower, don't try to say too much. The less said, the better probably, especially if you're not sure what to say. Just say, you're, I know you're having a rough time or you're probably having a rough time. I'm really sorry. Don't try so hard. Don't try to make you, us feel better because the only thing that can make us feel better is to have our spouse back. Offer up a few kind words. Number eight, you will be triggered by some really weird things. People talk about um, normal stuff like, oh, you hear your song on the radio and it makes you cry or you um, hear, you see somebody that kind of looks like them and you know, it makes you sad. I mean, those are typical things, but I was triggered by some weird stuff that found out later wasn't really all that weird, but my husband died 2017. And then I remember New Year's Eve when it was going into 2018, that whole week leading up to New Year's, I got more and more depressed, probably more sad about that milestone than any others up to that point. And he died in June. So by the time New Year's comes, you know, we're, we're talking about the six month mark, but for something about turning over the calendar and it changing from 2017 to 2018, because when 2018 gets here, it's a year on the calendar that he never walked the earth. It was almost like since he died in 2017, then time sort of like stood still because as long as it was whatever month, whatever day, comma, 2017, it was still in that calendar year that he was alive. And as soon as it turned 2018, it was almost like we're leaving him behind because he'll forever be in 2017. And so we moved forward into the new year without him. 
And that, for some reason, I could not like get that thought out of my head. And um, it really made me sad. I realized after that that's a really common um, anxiety causing event for people who've lost their spouse. Driving to school every day, passing the same landmarks that I would pass, that I was driving the same route to work that I was when he was alive. And so I'd pass the same stuff every day and have the same kind of thoughts every day. So every time I passed a certain gas station, I went through a certain stop sign, I went past a certain school, the same thoughts about my loss would go into my mind. That drive to work would trigger sadness and I would be crying by the time I got to work every day. And then I'd have to clean myself up and get myself ready to go to work. Eventually I just had to change jobs and change houses. <laughs> so I didn't have to have that. That's not the only reason why, but it really helped a lot. Sometimes I'll just be walking down the street or just in the middle of doing something, just mundane. And a thought will pop into my head. I'll look at one of my kids and a thought will pop into my head that um, like he's never gonna see him graduate from high school or He's never going to see him get married. He won't be able to walk him down the aisle. Or um, he didn't get to teach any uh, of the kids to drive. Or, um, you know, he just won't see any more of those milestones. Like he'll never get to see X, Y, Z. Now, you name it. It doesn't matter. But any milestone that happens from, from now on, he won't get to see it. And so... It's not like those thoughts come up at a specific time. Like you'll just be washing dishes or something and, and it, nothing will trigger it. It just pops into your mind. Like all of a sudden you'll be like, mm, he's never going to see her um, learn how to ride that hoverboard that she got for Christmas <laughs> or whatever. And those little thoughts just kind of pop into your head and they don't pop into my head as much anymore, but they did a lot in that first few months. Um, odd, odd things that you wouldn't think about that you wouldn't be able to predict. Like we went to, we went to church service last year on Veterans Day and we went into the church and they had all these bags. They had American flag. My husband's a veteran, obviously. Um, they had American flag and they had everything patriotic and they had all these gift bags. And then at, at the end of the service, they asked all the veterans to stand up and they had the children from the children's church come and pick up all the bags and hand them, hand these gift bags out to all the veterans to thank them for their service. And, um, and it was probably the worst meltdown that I've had since right when he died. My veteran, not here to get a gift. It was just, you know, a little trinkety little gift bag. It was nothing major, but it just kind of came crushing down on me that he's not here to be recognized anymore. He's not here to get that gift. My veteran is not here. He's gone. And so um, I couldn't even stand. I had to sit down and I was blubbering and I was ugly crying. It tore me up. Number nine, when you become a widow or a widower, you become a new person with a new identity. Suddenly you have this label on you. You think of yourself as certain things. I think of myself as a mom, a woman, a teacher, a Christian, and now, now it's widow. So it's widow and then all the other things. What I'm trying to do is to change that so that widow is on the list, but you know, down here somewhere, because I don't want my main identity to be that I'm a widow with all these other things. I wanna be all these other things who happens to be widowed. But on the flip side, when you do become widowed, you reach down and you find a piece of inner strength that you never knew you had. And you pull it out of somewhere, and you don't know where, and you have that strength to move on from day to day. And it's amazing how much strength that you actually have um, 
to be able to survive and put one foot in front of the other and make it from day to day. Sometimes you think you're not going to and then you wake up the next day and you did. Number 10. This is something I never would have thought about, but this really happens. And the more time that goes by, I realize the more it does happen. Your life is split suddenly. That event, that is a life-changing event. Scientists say that losing a spouse is the number one most stressful event that you could go through. So your life is split. That event splits your life in half. <laughs> so every time you have a memory, you think back, okay, when was that? When was that? Then when was that? And you, you place it into a category in your head of, oh, that happened before he died or that happened after he died. Every memory that I have, every thought that I have that's on a timeline, I have to place it on that timeline where it's either pre his death or post his death. Number 11, I'm no longer afraid of death. I had not lost anybody close to me when my husband died. I still had all four of my grandparents, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, sister, mother, father. I had not really lost anybody close to me to death. And so when my husband died, it was the first time that I had um, even been that close to it. Like I had a great grandmother and great grandfather that died. I saw him at the funeral and they were 90 something years old. But in my mind, I thought, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. If he can face death, my belief is that he's in heaven, but um, it took away my fear of death. Uh, and I almost feel like he kind of paved the way for me. Like he's leading the way and you know, wherever he is waiting for me, I will get there. But since he got there first, I don't have to be scared to do it anymore. If he can do it, I can do it. And number 12, I never felt like I was grieving right. I think I had some anticipatory grief. And so I started grieving from the time I found out he was terminal. And so I must have processed it like, um, like a drip campaign, you know, or like a little venting a little tiny bit at a time. And so when he actually died and shortly after that, I, I, I felt like I wasn't grieving right. Like I wasn't grieving enough. I wasn't crying hard enough or I wasn't debilitated enough. I didn't spend enough days in bed or um, I just felt like I wasn't doing it right. And uh, maybe I was moving on or moving forward too fast or dating too soon or whatever. Um, and I always doubted myself. And then I thought, well, gosh, there's no right way. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. Grieving is just what you do when somebody that you love dies. There's no prescription for it. There's no book about how to do it. Grieving is just the act of, you know, whatever you are feeling to mourn the loss of that loved one. I finally had to accept that there wasn't any right way to grieve. And so I, there's no, there's no way that I could say that I didn't grieve the right way or did it wrong because there is, there's no right, there's no wrong way. Also, lastly, to say that whatever you are feeling, however you are feeling right now about the loss of your loved one, of your spouse, of your significant other, um, that it's okay. It's okay to feel that way unless you're feeling like killing yourself or hurting yourself or others. But as far as what you're feeling inside, the thoughts that you have and, and those kinds of things, it's okay to feel whatever it is that you're feeling and that it's normal. There's always gonna be somebody out there that can say, yeah, I felt that way before. Yeah, I experienced that way before. Yeah, I thought about that before. So just know that it is a process. It never ends until we ourselves die. But just know that you're not alone in this process, that you've got others. If you, if you feel like you're alone, then reach out to somebody. 
Uh, reach out to somebody that you work with. Reach out with a family member or a friend. Text somebody. Call somebody. Somebody at your church. Join a club. Go do an activity. Go somewhere. Go to therapy. Go to a counseling group. Find a group of people on Facebook. Just know that you're not alone and there's always somebody out there that cares. And we, as a group, our group that we are growing now, the One Happy Widow group, um, we care, I care. I want to help you. I'm trying to help myself still, but hopefully by helping myself and moving through this process, I can help you as well. Okay, now that I've shared my 12 things that I've learned, comment below and uh, share with us what was one thing that you learned since becoming a widow or a widower? Something that I might not have listed, something that you never would have realized until it happened to you. So share some thoughts with us and see if we can commiserate, see if anybody else has those same thoughts or feelings as you do. That is the end of my list, my end of part one. Once I get part two, I will make sure and post that. Um, once I get part two and I post that, I'll go ahead and put a link right up here that you can go ahead and click on and it'll take you to the next uh, list of things that I learned when I became a widow. If this was helpful to you at all, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also give this video a thumbs up if it was helpful. Make sure you click that bell so that you won't miss another video and we will see you next time. Bye.